Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Hey now, clones, welcome to the Daily Jungle. Alabama is your national champion, and Tua is your new Crimson Tide legend. The freshman quarterback came in at halftime, and he turned second and 26 into national title number six for Nick Saban. And as you may have guessed, we had that instant classic broken down every single way, right down to Kendrick Lamar's absolutely fire halftime show. Yahoo Sports' Pete Thamel came in. He broke down the championship game as well. Tennessee Titan linebacker Derek Morgan gave the Titans some karma. And U.S. Olympic speed skater Aaron Jackson made her debut in the jungle. Alvi, it's Podcast Tuesday. Let's get this thing popping. Let's start with the title game last night. Alabama 26, Georgia 23. Yeah, I know you know, but I want to get that out of the way. I want to get that out of the way in the event that you saw the first half and then you watched Kendrick Lamar and thought, yeah, you know, it's not going to get any better than this. I think I'll shut this thing off right now. If that was you, I don't blame you, but I would feel sorry for you. Kendrick was amazing. And it was the best thing that that game had going for it until a new star hit the stage. Because as bad as that first half was, and it was pretty terrible, it was a borderline unwatchable rock fight. Kind of reminded me of Bill's Jags, but in all the worst ways. As bad as that first half was, the second half was that good. It just doesn't even do it justice. I mean, it's been roughly 12 hours since that game ended, and I still can't believe what we saw last night. It's going to take a long time to understand, comprehend, and process what we all just witnessed. And I guess to earn that amazing second half, we had to grind through that brutal first half. Because without that brutal first half from Alabama, where they had 94 yards, four first downs, and they trailed 13-0, we would not have gotten what we got in the second half. And what we got in the second half was Tua Tungavailoa, replacing Jalen Hurts at quarterback. And we got a star, a straight-up star in Tua. And after last night, he's already in that one-name club with Madonna and Prince and Pele. And as much as last night's win was about Nick Saban, and I'll get to Nick in a minute, it really was all about Tua, a true freshman who never started a game and never played in a big moment before. He replaced Hurts, and then the guy comes in, he absolutely lights the college football world on fire. So take a step back, forget what you know right now, and go back to when he first entered that game. Go back to that moment when Nick Saban yanked his starting quarterback. I mean, a guy who led him to the national championship game last season and then had him within seconds of a win and then replaced him with a true freshman down 13-0. Are you serious? The national championship game is not the time or place for a quarterback controversy. Anybody else does that, and it's a straight-up panic move. But it did work early on. And after going three and out, On that first drive, which actually resulted in a block punt for Georgia that was called back, Tua lights a spark in the Alabama Alabama offense. And in fact, the Alabama defense too. It put Georgia on their heels. That moment should have been too big for a kid like that, but it wasn't. His second drive reads like this. Incompletion, four-yard run, nine-yard run for first down, 15-yard completion for a first down, 9-yard completion, 14-yard completion for a first down, and 6-yard completion for a touchdown. 
But even that doesn't do it justice. Because on that nine-yard scramble on third down, this guy took multiple hits, and he never went down. He changed fields, and he picks up a vital first down. You see, that's when it was clear that there was something really, really different about Tua. That he wasn't just crazy athletic, but that the guy was fearless and tough as hell. Then on the next drive, he was a little bit too fearless, right? Georgia had just scored another TD. They go up 20-7. to Tua comes out. He tosses a pick. That's the kind of moment that would crush nearly any freshman. You know, you fly too close to the sun, you get burned, and then you crash back to earth. But again, not this guy, not Tua. The Bama defense gets him the ball back with an interception on the next play, and then he leads a field goal drive. So it's me at this point. The question wasn't whether or not it was a good idea to go to Tua in the second half. The question was, why the hell wasn't the guy in there earlier? Why wasn't he in there from the start? Why wait? I could not believe what I was seeing from Tua, and I could not understand why we had to wait so long to see it. I mean, this guy can sling it. This guy can lower his head and truck guys, and he's composed. He handled the postgame interviews like a 30-year-old man and not a freshman. Bottom line, like, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is, but I know it when I see it. And this guy's got more it than any freshman I have ever seen. So he did his job. He leads Alabama on a potential game-winning drive in regulation, only to see his kicker go out there and butcher a potential game-winning chip shot, sending it into overtime. Once again... An emotional dagger for Tua and for the Tide. You get that close to the title, and then you have a shanked kick. Good luck ever getting over that. You lose that game that way, and everyone's lives, or everybody has to live with that the rest of their lives. And nobody ever gets over something like that. So what happens in OT? Georgia gets the ball. They kick a field goal. Then on the very first play of overtime, Tua makes his biggest mistake. He gets sacked for a 16-yard loss. Picked a terrible moment for his freshman moment. But before you could comprehend just how bad that sack was and point to that as one of the reasons that they had the crystal and they lost it, this guy steps up and he does this. Second 26 on the 41, they say. Tungle Vailoa going downfield. He's got a man open. Oh, my God. Touchdown. Alabama has won it. We just lost him in the secondary. Too deep. Got behind our quarterback. And the Crimson Tide. Sweet jubilation for them as the dogs are heartbroken. Bulldog Sportsnet with that audio. I mean, just had a brutal freshman moment and one that looked like it might cost them the game. And then this kid bounces right back with a play of a lifetime. Yeah, actually, check that. The play of just about any other quarterback's lifetime. Because if this guy's doing that in his first serious action, who knows what else he's going to do in his career. He just went from never starting a game to winning the national championship. He nearly cost his team the game in one moment, and he wins it in the very next. So where does that leave us? I mean, the guy could be a total flash in the pan. He could be one incredible moment and done, except I doubt that. I mean, he could be, and if he is, then that's great because that moment was that incredible. There's never been another moment like that, and we may never, ever see another moment like that ever again. But you know that's not going to be the last of Tua. This guy's a straight-up star, a star. And now that Nick Saban has allowed himself maybe 10 minutes to enjoy that championship, now he has to decide who is his QB1 going forward, Tua or Hurts, who might be the best teammate ever, by the way, for handling that benching the way he did. But he may have to be once again because I don't know how you keep two off the field going forward. Sure, they don't have to play again for eight months. A lot can happen between now and then. 
but this kid is just that electric. It's hard to imagine putting that back into the bottle. Pretty much impossible if you ask me. National College Football and Basketball Reporter for Yahoo Sports, Pete Thamel. Pete, good morning. Great to have you back. How are you? Hey, Jim. Great to be here, man. It's good to have you, Pete. So before we get into the details of the game last night, now you've had a few hours to think about this one and reflect upon it. When you look back on last night's game, Pete, what sticks out to you most of all? You know, good question, Jim. I really think this reminds me of the uh, national title game two years ago when, when Nick Saban's onside kick in the fourth quarter of a tie game really set the tenor and paved the way uh, to win. And, you know, he, he came to that decision, Jim, basically because he did not think they could stop Sean Watson two years ago. And this year his, his decision was very simple. He didn't think they could win with Jalen Hurts playing quarterback. I think they had 90-something yards and four first downs in the first half. So, what he decided to do was say, hey, we're going to put in Tua Tagaloa, never started a game, never really played a pressure snap in his entire career, and we're going to insert him in the game. And obviously, uh, in retrospect, he, he looked like a genius. You know, I want to ask you about that in one second, Pete, but it wasn't just that Alabama wasn't able to move the ball, and they weren't, but there was nothing about them that looked like they were Alabama. I mean, they're making mental errors. In the third quarter, you have Mecky Brown throwing a punch at a Georgia player. He gets into it with staffers on the sideline. Exactly what happened in that case? Well, I just think that was a, I mean, that was just a, 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 a young kid. And he told me last night, I, I was a jerk and I could have cost us the game. Uh, but you, you're right, Jim, the whole thing looked very un-Alabama. It was the, it was the unprocessed moment. And uh, look, they were unraveling a little bit. I mean, you're, you're down double digits and multiple scores in the national title game and your offense isn't working. There's, a, there's an added pressure to, uh, you know, to, 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 have to, to have to make plays and, and to do things. And so... Mackie Brown went after him. Kerry Stevenson, who's the director of player personnel, one of 763 Alabama off-field assistants that they have. And, uh, I mean, it was a startling moment to, uh, to see. It's one you don't appreciate live way up in the press box as much as TV. And, uh, look, on, on TV, it looks pretty ugly. Clones, how about you give me a minute so I can talk to you about Stamps.com? Now, here's a New Year's resolution that you can actually keep. Add Stamps.com to your business and save a ton of time and money this year. Now, I'm going to be very honest with you. I don't need that resolution this year because I've already done it, and I wish I had done it sooner. Stamps.com has saved me so much time and so much money. You see, Stamps.com brings all the amazing services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your computer. Stamps.com is the better way to get postage. You simply use your computer to print U.S. postage for any letter or package, any class of mail and you let the mailman pick it up. You don't leave your office. There's no more lugging mail to the post office. There is no more hassle. So Stamps.com saves you time and money. Almost everything you can do at the post office, you can do right from your desk. Stamps.com. Convenient, easy, reliable, efficient. And those are all the reasons why I use Stamps.com. And right now, you too can enjoy the Stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale. Are you ready for a happier new year? Then go to stamps.com. Hit the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in jungle. That's stamps.com. Enter jungle. Once again, to take advantage of this great offer, stamps.com. Enter jungle. That's stamps.com. Now it's back to our daily jungle. Pete Thamel joining us. All right, so Tua arrives in Alabama. Pete, obviously, with a ton of hype. But if you were to give Nick Saban some truth serum, when he made that switch, did he have any idea that that freshman would show up the way that he did in the second half? Well, he played excellent, Jim, but he was far from perfect, as Nick pointed out after the game. I mean, he obviously took that horrible sack to start overtime. He threw an interception. 
the touchdown pass on fourth and four, which was another great call by Nick. I, I didn't ask to about this after the game, but it looked like he was trying to throw to another receiver. So, and I believe he was like 11 to 22, somewhere in that neighborhood. So it wasn't like he went in and went 20 of 22 and played flawless. But what he did was present enough of a threat with his arm that Georgia had to change the way they were playing defense, and they, they couldn't stack the box like they were. And then the run game opened up, and everything kind of flowed from there. So did Nick Saban know he was going to do this? No, but he also had no other choice. We're talking to Pete Thamel. You know, Pete, right before you came on, I mentioned that they're doing this, and they're doing it with freshmen because Tua was not the only freshman who had a huge, a huge impact on that game in the second half. So if you're the rest of college football and you see Nick Saban winning his sixth national championship with yet another wave of talented freshmen, how worrisome is that to everybody else? Yeah, you know, it was funny because for the first half last night, it looked like there could be a little bit of a start of the changing of the guard. Right. And uh, order was quickly restored. I believe it's five titles in nine years. And... Uh, Look, this is modern college football. What you saw last night is modern college football. Nick Saban, talented players, young players playing uh, uh, above their age and their grade, making plays. And there is no sign to me when you look at a true freshman quarterback throwing to a freshman receiver, when you look at all of the talented young guys that Alabama has over the ball, they until this year they've had seven consecutive number one recruiting classes. It is, it is a machine that is emotionless and merciless and marching on. Pete Thamel, my guest. So, Pete, the guy's done everything there is to do in the game. What's your sense at this point in his professional life? What motivates him and what drives him now when there's nothing left to accomplish? Well, he's chasing history now. He's tied with Bear for six national titles. And uh, I have seen and those around him have seen no signs of him slowing down. Uh, 66 years old, and, you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you he's going to go 10 more years, but I don't think any sort of consideration of retirement is imminent. I've been given no sense of that. You know, but there was something different about last night. He said afterwards, quote, I've never been happier in my life. Never. It's a pretty amazing statement from Nick Saban. Why do you think last night's game made him so happy? In other words, why was last night better than all the others? You know what? He's, he's sort of a slave to the precious present. He's a singularly focused guy. So last night was the greatest night of his life and the greatest game of his life because it was the game in front of him or the game that had just been behind him. So I don't think – I didn't read anything else into that other than – he wanted to deflect any notion of himself historically and, and put the focus on what his team had just accomplished. He's been pretty consistent about that theme throughout the years, Jim. We're talking to Pete Thamel. Pete, before you go, let me get your thoughts on the other side, the Georgia side. You had a great piece the other day on time that you spent with Sonny and Sharon Smart. They're Kirby's parents. First off, where do they live and what's life like there? So it was, it was, it was a great, fun story. Uh, Sonny Smart is an old Georgia high school coach from Central Casting. He coached a little bit in Alabama, so more than three decades banging around the southeast. And uh, his mom was a uh, was an English teacher. They, they called themselves a package deal. And I went up to Rabin Gap, which is right on the uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia border on the far northeastern part of the state. And it was, it was just a beautiful little town at the base of the Smoky Mountains and the uh, – you could quickly see, you know, what formed Kirby Smart long before, you know, he became a lieutenant to Nick Saban. Uh, he was the salutatorian of his high school class. He spoke at graduation. You know, he was on the math team. Um, you know, he would leave baseball games or, or, or sporting events and go, you know, go be a ringer on the on the school's math team. He's he's a well-rounded, bright guy whose parents were obviously a, a significant influence. And you know, he's the kind of the classic coach's kid, Jim. You've heard it a million times. Who grew up tagging along practice and hanging out in his dad's locker room and on the sideline and kind of grew up that way. And 
he, he sort of, his dad had coached all over the state of Georgia, is very respected in the fraternity of Georgia high school coaches, and it, it, he was really groomed, you know, from birth for this Georgia job. All right, so knowing what you know about his parents, knowing what you know about Kirby Smart, how do you think he's going to process this loss? Now, I thought, he obviously won't think this way because he's a super intense coach, but I thought Georgia was playing with house money last night, Jim. You know, like nobody expected him to get there. They were 8-5 and five last year, you know, played in the Liberty Bowl. All right? They had two dynamic tailbacks come back, and he's just pushed that program so much further, so much faster. I think when he has a couple days to sit back and realize that they won the SEC – Georgia had the number one ranked recruiting class in the country this year. They're they're well ahead of schedule, and you know what he learned from Nick Saban is complacency is your enemy, and he's going to keep pushing them forward. And listen, one last thought, Pete. You have a young quarterback like they have in Fromm, and it, to me, until I saw Tua last night, I thought that I'd never seen a freshman quite like Fromm. I mean, a really special young guy. But when you've got the backfield they have, guys like Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle, and you've got that lead, is he going to look back? Is Kirby Smart going to look back and regret that he didn't try to spin the clock and feed that monster and go with that backfield more than he did, especially given the lead they had well i think the biggest strategic blunder that georgia made last night jim was that they nick chubb did not have a good night you know he averaged somewhere around two yards of carry less than two yards of carry sony michelle had a great night and they did not feed the hot hand in the uh in the second half um but i'll leave you with this thought which is a delicious one for your listeners who probably don't follow recruiting georgia has the number one quarterback recruit in the country coming in next year a kid named justin fields could have been a high high pick in baseball he, you know, I saw him play at a quarterback collective camp this summer, and uh, people considered him to be in the vein of the next Cam Newton. So I had an SEC uh, quarterback guy tell me that, you know, who's recruited all these guys over the years, tell me that he thought that Fields was so talented he could replace Fromm. So, you know, those, those are first-world problems now, you know, when you have things going that way. Let's go to the phones. We go to Sacramento. Ken up in NoCal. Ken, my man. Happy New Year. How are you? Happy New Year, Romy. Thanks for the vine. And don't you think it's appropriate that Kendrick Lamar, the hottest uh, uh, MC of this generation, is dealing at the time of the hottest coach in college football history? Nick Saban has just cemented his throne. This guy is the greatest college football coach ever, possibly the greatest coach, period, Romy. Because when I say that, you're talking about a guy who year in, year out, gets the utmost out of his talent. The reason why I say he's the greatest is you haven't seen a run like this probably since Wooden was at UCLA, where you have a coach, the top coach in the game, getting the top players in the game, and producing the top percentage, the top championships year in year out and if he's not in the cha- if he's not winning the championship he's right there competing for it i mean we think about greatness in terms of um how often you can get yourself to the opportunity to play for a title saban is almost in his dna this happens every single year i mean we talk about or i've i've made the statement before that he and calipari are very similar but in order for calipari to do what saban is doing at Alabama, he would have to be in the Final Four every single year and playing in the championship game every single year or at least every other year. This is absolutely amazing. And the other thing is, it's not like back in the day when Wooden could monopolize all the best players or the best programs could monopolize all the best players and hoard them. He has to share the bite of the apple with everybody. And so, and even when you take a look at it, Alabama doesn't have the most players in the NFL. This coming season, LSU's had the most. In fact, if you take a look, LSU and USC has just as many NFL prospects or NFL players as Alabama. Yet year in, year out, 
Saban is winning. So in other there words, Ken, no let me jump in. Him. Let me jump in because I, I want to agree with what you're saying, Ken. And the fact of the matter is, it's just not set up to win the way he's winning right now. Isn't that what you're saying? I mean, the fact is, that's six. That's six for him. Sixth national title last night and his fifth in the last nine years at Alabama. And let's get something clear. Only Nick Saban wins that game. And it's not because he's a wizard of a coach, even though he is. It's not because he's been there before, because he has. But because he's the only guy in the country who can bench a 25-2 and starting quarterback and turn to a five-star freshman. And then a bunch of other five-star freshmen when the starters are not getting it done. See, that's not to slight him or the process. In fact, that's a tip of the cap to the process. Because as much as that process is about winning the moment and doing your job, it's also about recruiting, something Ken was just talking about. And Saban does that as well as anybody has ever done that. And then the end result, Saban with another title. And to me, that's the most predictable thing ever after they barely got into the playoffs. As I said back when the four teams were announced, the most saving thing ever would be to sneak into the tournament and then win the whole damn thing, which is what they did. And for much of last night, they didn't even deserve it. That was the most un-Alabama performance that I've seen in a really long time. Undisciplined, getting caught with more than 11 men on the field, roughing the passer, mental errors made by a team that never makes mental errors. And that's before we even get to Mecky Brown punching a Georgia player, getting flagged, and then getting into it with staffers on the Alabama sideline. You see that, but you don't see that from Alabama. They were not playing Alabama football. They were unraveling in shocking ways, completely melting down and getting worked by a true freshman in Jake Fromm. They look gassed on defense. They look like they'd run into a better version of themselves because, boy, they had. But then Tua shows up, and Tua saves everything and changed everything. Tua came in and played the way he did, and that makes Saban look like a genius. Listen, if this kid comes in and he tosses a couple of picks or he fumbles a few snaps, we're not talking about Saban as a genius right now. We're talking about how Saban panicked and went away from a starter when they were only down two scores at halftime. Except Tua didn't do that. Tua made that decision look brilliant. And I know some of you recruiting honks will want to come in here and say, yeah, well, you saw that coming when he stepped on the field. Man, stop that. No, you didn't. Nobody did. Maybe not even Saban. Nobody saw a true freshman dragging an entire team out of the funk of the first half and putting them in position to win that game in regulation before a brutal miss from their kicker from 36 yards out. That was tough. I mean, really, really tough because that kick never had a chance. That kick wasn't even close. I mean, that kick, what was that? That was pressure. It was pressure. But I get it. I mean, I was nervous and I was 3,000 miles away, and I'm not kicking. I can only imagine the pressure that a young kicker was feeling on the field. And then you've got Saban's horrendous history with kicking, and that continues and nearly cost them that game. But Tua rises up and he saves them in overtime. You imagine how furious Saban would have been if he lost to a former assistant on a missed kick like that? <laughs> Extremely. And because of Tua, though, that didn't happen. And because of Tua, now everybody wants to talk about Saban's championships and his legacy. Yet either that or people want to talk about how sick of Alabama they are. Which brings me to my last point. Alabama fatigue. 
I get it. It's real. People are sick of Alabama. They're sick of seeing them there every single year. They're sick of them winning almost every single year. And most of all, they're sick of them winning the way they win. Except Tua changes all of that. He changed everything. I mean, I don't care how bitter you are about Nick Saban and his bitterness or how much you think that Nick Saban cheats. If watching Tua do what he did last night does not make you shake your head in amazement, then that's a you problem. Then you probably should just stop watching college football altogether. If seeing a freshman come onto the biggest stage and play with absolutely no fear and just throw lasers all over the place doesn't make you at least smile, then you're a major troll. Because that made Nick Saban smile, and that dude never smiles. This is the same guy who complains about winning a national championship because it cuts into his recruiting time. The same guy who last night was practically giddy when he said, I have never been happier in my life. Never. You know, right now, I'm, I'm just happy for all these folks here. I'm, I'm happy for all these folks. I'm happy for our players. I don't care anything about that, to be honest with you. Th- this was a great win for our, our players, and I've never been happier in my life. Never. Never. That's ESPN. I thought that old guy was going to cry. I thought he was choking up. I thought he was going to crack. That was the most amazing thing about Tua last night, that he got Saban to let down the Saban act for one minute and just be a person. Hell, a happy person at that. So the bad news for everybody else in college football and everybody who's sick of Nick Saban and sick of Alabama is that Saban and Alabama aren't tired. You might have Alabama fatigue, but Alabama doesn't have any fatigue. By all accounts, this guy's as motivated and driven as he has ever been. And from the looks of that second half, he finally has something he's never had before, a star quarterback. Saban probably enjoyed that win for all of five minutes before he started to plan for next season, which means the winning will not stop and the fatigue will not end. There is a lot more where that came from. Derek Morgan is my guest. Derek, it's great to have you back on. How are you? Hey, man, I'm good. How you doing? Good, good, Derek. Thanks for doing this. Now, the team did not flinch when you had to win to get in in Week 17. So when you guys were in the locker room on the road down 21-3 to against Kansas City, what was the mood like in that room? And what were the types of things that you guys were saying to one another? Um, the mood was, was pretty tranquil. It was calm, um, to say the least. And I think... Uh, I don't think anybody counted us out at that point. Um, it was a lot of guys talking about, you know, they, they got to play us for 60 minutes. And, um, you know, we took that attitude out to the second half. And, uh, you know, we knew we had to be dominant defensively. And our offense came out with some big scores. And so we did a great job of playing complimentary football in that second half. And you know, we just need to turn that into a 60-minute game uh, this Saturday. Derek Morgan, my guest. You know, one of the things you said after that game was, we know who we are. And that's all that matters. So lay it out for those listening. Who exactly are you, and how would you describe the attitude of this team? Um, we're just a, a really gritty bunch of guys. Um, don't get a lot of attention, which is fine. We fly under the radar. And we just come to work. You know, blue-collar type of, type of team, you know. Um, you know has uh, squeezed out some ugly wins this year, but a win is a win. And, you know, we just play team football you know it's not all about just one guy um everybody makes their plays when it's their turn so i think it's a great um a great team of of blue collar workers that we got here 
Now, Jack, I got to know, it's your first playoff game. And when you consider what you've gone through to get to this point, I mean, what did that feel like emotionally in that game? Did it feel like you were out there? Did it feel like it was any different because it was the playoffs and it was your first game? Or did it feel like a regular game? Is that what you told yourself? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I tried my best to approach it like a regular game um, to keep my emotions in check. Um, but you, you, you kind of get a sense of the significance of the game. Um, it's a lot more, a lot more people in the stands, more cameras around. Um, but I, I just got to thank God. It's been a blessing to be, uh, you know, going into my eighth year, um, being able to hit the playoffs. You know, some people go their whole careers and don't even touch the playoffs. So to to go to the playoffs, you know, on my birthday and to actually get a win is a blessing from God. And um, you know, this team is just, you know, we've been fighting and scrapping all year. And we had that, that, that mentality uh, going into the playoffs. Derek Morgan joining us. All right, so as a defensive player, let me get your thoughts on the offense. For instance, what goes through your head when you see Derek Henry running with the kind of authority that he was running with? Did that get you fired up? Yeah, definitely. Um, when, you, when you have a back like him who, who's a very dynamic back, um, you know, with the size that he has, to see him hitting the holes like that is just is very uh, satisfying to watch, you know, um, you know, when the offense is taking control of the clock, I think they came out and ate up about eight minutes on that drive, mostly running the ball. So it's uh, it's very encouraging to watch um, as a defensive player. And, um, you know, that's what we always stress, that, you know, we, we like to run the ball and uh, to be dominant in that phase of the game. And to see him have that success was really encouraging. And then what's it feel like when you see your quarterback out there laying it out there, catching touchdowns, running, laying blocks? What do you make of the way Marcus Mariota came through? Just a competitor, a true competitor, um, team first guy. You see when he threw that block that basically sealed the game for us. Um, that's a selfless play. Some quarterbacks won't won't make that block because they're they're afraid of getting hurt or what have you. And, and to see that, um, it just man, it had me fired up. And so, you know, he's a true competitor. Never gets too high, too low. Very um, you know, very focused on what he has to do. And he's coming through big for us right now. Derek Morgan joining us again. So, Derek, when you have the kind of comeback that you had on the road against Kansas City, how much confidence does that give the team heading into Saturday's game against the Patriots? Um, I think it just kind of confirmed a lot of you know a lot of people's thoughts of what we already you know kind of knew about ourselves. Um, but it's always good to get that confidence and to get that that road win, uh, especially going into a uh, hostile environment like New England, and um, knowing the you know, the pedigree of that team, and so. It was a good confidence boost, um, and I think guys are really are really focused. The, the energy around here is very, very focused on the task at hand, um, not not getting too high on ourselves from that win, but knowing that we're two games from the Super Bowl, and um, we have a great chance to do something special this Saturday. Well, given you've been asked this question one million times, let's go ahead and make it one million and one. What do you do to make Tom Brady uncomfortable? <laughs> Make him uncomfortable uh, in that right. pocket. Get How do you do it? Pressure in his face. Yep. Um, and no, no quarterback likes you know their pocket being condensed and you know having to move around. You know he's able to move around the pocket. Uh, he's still able to do that, but you know just just really having people in his face every time he throws the ball um, is what it's what it's going to take to win the game. You know he he is he is uh, their team and. As he goes, the team goes. And so we have to do our best to affect him um, with our pressure and our rushes. Yeah, Derek, before you go, I had Wesley Woodyard on the show last week, and he talked about the switch to a plant-based diet. And you yeah. and your wife, Charity, have been leading that way and played a huge role in his transition. When did you first make the move to a plant-based diet? And then what kind of an effect did that have for you? 
Um, I was back in March um, in the off season. I started transitioning, uh, cutting out red meat, cutting out chicken, and eventually just uh, going fully uh, vegan. Um, but I, I would say that it helped me in a few ways, from from sleeping at night uh, to my recovery and just having mental clarity. Um, my wife is a she's a chef by trade, and she started to learn how to cook that way. Uh, her Instagram, Chef Charity Morgan, if you want to check out some of her, of her uh, recipes. Sure. But she made it easy, man. Um, you know, so I just noticed those things, recovery, sleep, mental clarity, and um, it's been great for me. Like Derek, for instance, how many calories a day do you consume? And then, like, what do you have to eat to get there? Um, I would say the calorie intake is very uh, similar to what I was on a traditional diet. But um, she's actually on her way bringing some lunch up here now. So... <laughs> I think today it might be some lentil meatloaf, some broccoli, um, you know, and some like a carb or something. But it, it varies. You know, it's, it's basically anything that you would eat regularly, whether it's a, a burger or, um, you know, anything. She'll find a way to switch the ingredients to plant-based ingredients. And it really, a lot of the times, it doesn't taste too different than what you're expected, you know, what you're usually um, eating. So... She makes it easy. Um, got to eat a little bit more because you're burning through those calories. But um, you just got to be conscious of that, and that just takes time to learn how to eat differently. All right, so now you've got teammates who love this, and they love what she's doing, and she's totally involved right now. Do you and the rest of the guys try to keep each other honest when it comes to that vegan approach, <laughs> or do you just kind of let everybody do their own thing? Well, we, <laughs> it's funny. Back in the training camp when guys were starting to get on the plan, we used to be – um, real, real judgmental. <laughs> you know, if somebody was eating a, a pack of cheeses or you know had a had a, a piece of chicken wing on, on their on their plate, you know, I would kind of walk by and give them the evil eye. But um, you know, it's a lot of the guys are on the plan just because of how to, how the food tastes. They're not necessarily um, following a, a vegan uh, lifestyle. They just like the way my wife's food tastes. So um, I think that says a lot. But you know, we started out, you know, giving guys a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of crap for how they were eating, uh, if they were getting off the meal plan. But now it's just guys are just, you know, in the swing of things and kind of do what they do. My guest is Aaron Jackson. Aaron, it's great to have you on. How are you? Hey, I'm great. How are you doing? Aaron, I'm awesome. Really nice to talk to you. Let me first by uh, start by asking you: When you were interviewed on the ice after it was over, and you made the Olympic team, you said you had no idea how that happened. Now that you've had a few days to think about this, has it sunk in yet that you are a member of the U.S. Olympic team? And if so, how does that feel now? Yeah, I think it's finally sunk in. It's still just so hard to believe and comprehend, but it feels pretty great. <laughs> like at first, it was uh, just something that. I wouldn't say it came out of nowhere, but it definitely caught me off guard a little. So um, it was like a mix of like overwhelming excitement and also a little bit of stress, of course. But the stress part is definitely dying down now, so it's a lot of excitement. <laughs> Aaron Jackson joining us. It didn't come out of nowhere, but as I mentioned, you've only been training on the ice for about four months. So how surprised are you to be in the position you're in right now and heading to the Olympics as a long-track speed skater? Um, it's... <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy. Like, this was always kind of like a long-term goal of mine. Um, I was coming into the Olympic trials this year just hoping to get some experience and, like, kind of see where I am um, after this time I've had on the ice. And I was always planning to, like, stick around for the next cycle. So, um, yeah, it was definitely a goal of mine to be on Team USA. I just didn't see it happening this quickly. 
as I mentioned, you were an experienced inline skater, and you've been doing that for about 15 years. So how did the idea of you trying long track speed skating first come to be? Well, I guess since about 2005, um, there's been like a a trickle of inline skaters over to the ice just because there are more opportunities and inline skating isn't an Olympic sport. So if you want to chase your Olympic dreams, you have to switch over to the ice. So I've always kind of had that in the back of my head. Like at some point, that could be something that I wanted to do. But the main thing is that I'm also like pretty uh, like big with academics and all that. So I really wanted to finish my degree, like graduate college before I thought about uh, doing anything with ice. So um, I graduated in 2015 and took a little time to myself and then figured, okay, I guess it's time. (laughs) You know what? I'm going to double back to the academics. I think that's a big part of this. But in terms of the ice, what was it like the first time you were on the ice? Cool. Well, actually, um, like a, I guess like a quick timeline of uh, my ice experience. So the first time I stepped on the ice was September of 2016, um, just kind of like doing a, a public session, um, just like putzing around on the ice while my friends were training, just trying to figure out like how to step and all that. So that kind of like like reignited that feeling of wanting to try ice skating. So after that, I was like, well, let's go ahead and try this long track thing. Um, so I went out to Salt Lake City at the Olympic Oval, uh, like at the end of February through the end of March for like exactly a month. And that was the first time I trained in speed skating. So I did it a month at that time and then went back to speed skating or inline speed skating and roller derby through the summer and then moved out to Salt Lake full time in September, like at the end of September. So that's kind of my timeline. So like when people say like, oh, it's only been four months. Um, (laughs) I don't know. Sometimes it can be a little misleading because I do have like an extensive background in inline skating and other forms of skating. And, uh, if you ask me like, Oh, it's only been four months, but then say I started in March, then, you know, it's like, do you count the months in between March and September when I was inline skating? So yeah, <laughs> just Fair a clarification enough. for hey, now, a lot of people who are wondering. Uh, that makes sense to me. Aaron Jackson, my guess, that makes sense to me. So it's not really four months per se. But then again, at the same time, if we're talking timeline, when you say you stepped on the ice in 2016 for the first time, it wasn't like you stepped on the ice for the first time in 2016, right? It was the first time in a long time, but that was not the first time you had been on the ice in 2016. Oh, no, that was that was the first time. Wow, <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible. All right, so when you mentioned inline skating, you trained at the Skateaway South Rink, which could be described as nondescript from the outside, but on the inside, some of the very best skaters in the world have been there. What were those training sessions like? Um, like back with all the top skaters back in the day? Yes, yes. Oh, yeah, that was always awesome because – I was lucky enough to have those top skaters to look up to because at the time, like Joey and Brittany, well, Joey, sorry, Joey Mantia and Brittany Bow, like they were at the top of the inline game. So I just always felt like very lucky to have them to look up to and train with. And um, just like a ton of other top skaters have come out of Ocala, Florida uh, with coach Renee Hildebrand. So yeah, I've just always felt really fortunate to be able to like look up to these skaters and chase them day after day. Aaron, you mentioned Renee Hildebrand. Who is Renee and what makes her so special? Well, (laughs) so she's our coach uh, out of Ocala, Florida, and she's just raised a ton of world champions and Olympians. And it's just something about her where she's able to help skaters like or just people in general, like reach new heights and like unlock things in in themselves that they didn't even know they had. So she's just a great coach and also a really great motivator. So I feel like sports are very mental. 
And she just really helps people like realize within themselves that they have what it takes. And then from there, it's just easy sailing. (laughs) Aaron Jackson joining us for a few more moments. Now, we mentioned that you've done some roller derby back in the day. It's a sport that a lot of people have seen, but very few have actually done. What's it like to compete in roller derby? Well, it feels like a completely different sport um, to like compared to inline, um, but I guess you know it's all skating. But roller derby is definitely super fun. Um, it's like my first real team sport that I've competed in, so that's like a new experience as well. Um, yeah, I play with, or I started out with the Ocala Cannibals in Ocala, Florida, and then uh, switched to Jacksonville Roller Derby out of Jacksonville, Florida, and I'm also on uh, the USA World Cup team, USA Roller Derby. So it's just awesome to have all these new experiences and meet all these awesome people, like all while being on roller skates. <laughs> you know, it's you mentioned all these experiences. The fact is, you've competed internationally. You've represented the United States before. But have you thought about how it's going to feel to compete in the Olympics? Is there anything that you think that would compare to that? Uh, no, nothing. It's it's awesome and it's completely mind blowing. You know, it's this amazing experience that I'm really excited for. I guess the closest I've come is um, I completed I competed in the Pan American Games a couple of years ago. So that's um, I guess you can kind of compare it to like uh, the Olympics for North, Central, and South America. Um, so that was kind of my first like large scale international experience, other than like the World Championships every year for inline skating. Now you've got a month between now and the start of the Olympics, and you've come so far just in the last four months. How much further can you go? in the next month? I mean, how much more can you improve between now and then, or is it just a matter of maintaining and being as focused and prepared as you can be? Right. I mean, I really have no idea, and I, I feel like that's pretty exciting in itself. Um, what's good, or what I think is good, is that I still have so much to improve on. Like, I, I really like it when people tell me, like, you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong. Like, not exactly like that, but just, like, a lot of constructive criticism because I always like to know that I have, like, more things to improve on. So that's really my goal. It's, like, I don't really have, like, a specific time or a specific placement that I'm putting as a goal, just more that I can keep improving, like, each time I get out there. So that's really what I'm looking forward to is just taking more and more time off of my 500-meter race. (laughs) And you keep doing that. Aaron, one last thing, because I mentioned I'd get back to your academics. You graduated cum laude with a bachelor's degree from the Materials Science and Engineering Program from the University of Florida. At the same time, all the skating that you've been doing means you've been traveling all over the world. So how have you managed all of this and been able to juggle everything? It was really hard. I didn't get much sleep when I was uh, at the University of Florida. And, um, but really... I feel like I need a lot of things going on in my life to really keep me on task. So, um, like, when I was in college, I had, like, the two different skating sports going on while I was in school. And just, like, having a whole bunch of things in my schedule just kind of kept me, like, flowing from one thing to another. Um, It was after I graduated when I felt like (laughs) things weren't as manageable just because I, uh, I kind of failed a little bit on the time management. So keeping busy definitely worked for me, I think, other than the lack of sleep part. (laughs) Let's go to Tampa, Florida. David in Tampa. David, good to have you on. How are you? Jimmy, I'm not hearing much compassion, buddy, and I need it. (laughs) That's brutal. Native Atlantan, 56 years old, waited 51 years for the Falcons to choke it out, waited 37 years for this last one. I was at the Notre Dame game in 80 when we beat them, helped tear down the goalpost. We lost that game last night. I hadn't had a beer the whole game. 
I polished off six and a bottle of wine and sat on the porch until four o'clock crying in that beer. And uh, it's like you said, the same thing with the Braves. You know, best pitching staff in history of baseball. And we won one lousy World Series, you know. I was at game three when we lost to the Yankees with a two-to-nothing lead coming back from New York. You know how hard it is to be a fan? Georgia, Atlanta. It's, I mean, it's brutal, man. I, you know, I can't take it. I, I need psychiatric help right now. My man, I'm I here to get out of bed this morning. You couldn't get out of bed. That's probably because you had a bottle of wine and six beers in about 10 minutes. Now, I feel you, David. I really do. I'm sorry about that. Let's go this time to Florida. Kevin, you are next. It's good to have you on, Kevin. How are you? Vince Mack, what's up, player? What's up? What's up? How you doing, Kevin? Good, man. Good to hear your voice. Listen, uh, I got a message for Mr. David. Hey, loser, that's not one bad night. That's your reality. You live in the state of chokers. So why don't you line a few more uh, bottles up for the next few nights because it's going to take a while to get over that. Uh, before I G off real quick, I, I just want to know, I can't believe they blew that game, Rome. I mean, wh- why do teams continue to play not to lose when they're dominating uh, as underdogs? They were slicing and dicing them with big routes and slants. The, the kid from has a cannon. Uh, put it on them. Continue. Continue. Keep going. Sling it. Keep slinging it. Uh, why did they keep feeding the rock to Chubbs? I mean, he had two guys around his ankles before he could even get moving. Like uh, your boy you just interviewed said, Michelle is the real back on that team, way quicker, way more dynamic. And it, to think about it, if, I was, uh, if you think about watching the second half, I, I couldn't help but wonder if uh, Georgia, the, the dogs got an inspirational uh, pregame speech from Big Bro, the Mr. Falcons. Like, if, if, you, if you looked into the locker room real quick, it'd be like, all right, peeps, listen up. This is the biggest moment in your life. When you get a lead in this game, and whatever you're doing is working, it's imperative that you take your foot off the gas. No one wants to make a mistake and accidentally establish some sort of dominance and uh, do something crazy like win a championship. <laughs> so listen, this is key. Damn it, listen up. You in the back, stop talking. Midway through the third quarter, you're going to wrap both hands directly around your trachea, both hands, and squeeze until you pass out like little bitches. <laughs> All right, hand that trophy Thank you very much. Go ahead, Alvin. Ah, you got that oh, hammer, Alvin. No. What good is it if you're not going to use it? You don't like that car. I don't like that car. This is really not good. Not a very good car. Got to go to Green Bay where Caleb is. Return of the walrus. Caleb, what's going on? How are you? I'm good, Ben Snack. What's up with you, man? Same, same. All good here. All right, cool. Uh, I don't know if I can follow Bigatron and Tom Tolbert's aortic dissection, but I'll do my best. I wanted to give the rest of the clones a chance to get the first week on TV out of their systems, and predictably, they spent four days making fun of the XR4TI for the way they look. And listen, I put the pair in personal appearance smack, I know, but I, what it's like to be heckled for my features, I'm coming at a different angle. You see, I'm installing a three-point plan to make the jungle a safer and more inclusive place for everybody. 2018 is the year that bullying comes to an end. Number one, I'm going to pay more compliments. No one took more last week than my man Sparrow, but I dig his look so much, I'm going to hit him with his government. Stephen Adams Hawk. Seriously, 
CBS Sportsnet people find a recent photo of Steve Adams from the OKC Thunder and throw it up next to a photo of the Hummingbird. He's a dead ringer. It's incredible. We could call him the Pee Wee Kiwi. I love it. Number two, I will show more concern for my fellow humans. Alvin, I know the camera adds 10 kids, but damn, it looks like you haven't slept since Vic and NoCal won the smack-off, which is another way to say a long Long time. Get some sleep, my dude. Finally, I will stand in defense of the oppressed anytime, anywhere. Last week, Brad and Corona called in to play the hits. Brad, can you get off of Left and Laguna's ears? No, I mean that literally. Can you get off of Left's ears? Those things are so big, you've been riding them since 2015. Come up with a new joke. I'm not standing for this crap anymore, Jim. The bullies stop. Now, clones, if you're with me, follow me on Twitter at Caleb in Green Bay. The K stands for the swing and miss that Chad in L.A. will likely take at me later this week. Make the jungle a better place. Never let the Osprey shave that caterpillar off its face. On Wisconsin. Peace. On Wisconsin. Rack him, Caleb in Green Bay. That's the guy who stepped his game up. He's getting better and better and better and better. There you go, clones. Get ready for the Jim Rome podcast with Tom Tolbert. It's going to drop later on today, episode 19, back in the chamber after a couple of weeks off. And I'll be right back here tomorrow as well. Check back then. See you then. I'm out. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it. Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive. Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.